This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. So when we say we're Christians in the same way Paul is telling the Jews, just because you say you're of Israel doesn't mean you're Israel. Are you governed by God? <laughs> That's the important thing. It's not so much that you can follow your genealogy all the way back to Abraham. The point is, have you been governed by God? Do you have a relationship with God? The same thing with Christians. It's not because you go to church or because you were born from a Christian family. The point is that you've been governed by God. Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you Christ-like where people can say, Wow, you a Christian. The Jews of Jesus' day tended to base their positive view of their relationship with God on the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. Jesus shook them up by saying that they needed an individual personal relationship to be right with God. Pastor Eddie is teaching that this applies to us as well. Merely going to church or having been raised by believers won't get us into heaven. Only living a life submitted to Christ will do that. Well, let's turn to the ninth chapter of Romans, verse 6 and join Pastor Eddie as he continues his message. Not everyone who says, I am a Christian, are really Christ-like, or really, not many are. Just as with the Jews, thinking that because they were born in Israel, there are some who think, well, uh, I don't go to church, and I come across a lot of people when I have conversations about what's your faith, what do you believe in? And say, well, I'm okay because, well, I don't go to church, but, you know, I was born Christian. You've heard that, right? Or, you know, my father, my mother, the Christian, you know, one is Episcopalian, one is another denomination, but guess what? They love each other, right? My great-grandfather was a minister. You know, we're we're Christians, you know. And we think there are many that believe that because they're in their family tree that they were practicing Christians who know it's just going to church and they think that they're Christians. And that's something that we need to examine ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ. Am I really Christ-like? Am I a Christian by its definition? The name title Christian is to imply that one who is truly a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ and follow of his ways and is a follower and is a it is Christ-like in everything and everything that he does or she does that is a Christian or even going to church doesn't make you a Christian going to church doesn't make you a Christian there are a lot of people who go to church just to try to score points with someone or with God. Well, let me, been invited a thousand and one times. Let me just go get this person off my back, right? Or you think you, know, you, you want to be right with God, so you have to be in the church. You need to be right with God with your heart, not so much coming to church. When I think about this, I grew up with contemporary Christian music, and one of the artists was uh, Keith Green. And Keith Green, his music was bold. It was in-your-face kind of Christian, you know? 
It's not like the Christian music today. Guess what? It had all this feel-good, emotional, nice little sweet things that you can actually take that song, and since it's not clear who he's speaking about or singing about, you can use it for your girlfriend or your boyfriend. No, the, the gospel music back there was gospel. It was real. It was in-your-face gospel. And Keith Green, that's what I love about Keith Green. He was bold, and it was very convicting, his songs. There was one song that I like, and it's titled, Jesus Commands Us to Go. Right? That's a lot better than I love you, right? Anyway, I love you. Who you love, you know? <laughs> Jesus commands you. The title in itself, it's biblical, and it's, you already know what he's going to talk about. But at the end of the song, I like what he says at the end of the song. At the end of the song, he starts speaking, and he starts singing while he's playing the piano. He says, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's make you a hamburger. And it's so true. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. The same way, just because you go to Taco Bell doesn't make you a taco. I'm getting people hungry. We're going to eat after this. Don't worry about it. We're going to eat after this. <laughs> now, Christians, it gets a little more deep. Christ takes it one step deeper. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, that's the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Notice, how would they know about prophecies? They were in church. How would they know about casting out demons? They were in church. How would they know about many wondrous things? They were in church, and they all did it in his name. But this is what Christ had to say in verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's deep. So when we say we're Christians in the same way Paul is telling the Jews, just because you say of Israel doesn't mean you're Israel. Are you governed by God? That's the important thing. It's not so much that you can follow your genealogy all the way back to Abraham. The point is, have you been governed by God? Do you have a relationship with God? The same thing with Christians. It's not because you go to church or because you were born from a Christian family. The point is that you've been governed by God. Are you following Jesus Christ? Are you Christ-like where people could say, wow, you are Christian? That's the difference. So this message is both for Jews and Gentiles. It's not by the flesh. It's not by the flesh. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, that was of the flesh is born of the flesh. But it's, it's, it's through the blood, not the blood of your fathers or your forefathers. It's not through the blood of your genealogy and your family tree. But it was the blood that was shed on the tree, on the cross. It was through the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us right with God, that makes us Christians Christ-like, governed by God. That's the difference. And that's what Paul is saying here. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. So Nicodemus, you come to me every night. But hear this. It doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Pharisee or the Pharisees. You need to be born again. And so what Paul's going to do now in verses 7 through 9, Paul's going to show us the sovereignty of God in the illustration using the story of Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. So now he's going to narrow it down from the nation of Israel to now to Isaac and Ishmael. Let's look at the end of verse 6. He says, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, verse 7, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But 
in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Paul narrows it down to the seed of Abraham, to Isaac. In John chapter 8, when the Jews said to Jesus, we are descendants of Abraham. We are the descendants of Abraham. And Jesus replied in verse 37, John chapter 8, verse 37. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Yeah, you Abraham's descendant. That is the flesh. That is of the flesh. You want to put your hope in that? That's fine. But my word is not in you. Is Jesus Christ not the word? The word should be in us. And that is the fruit of a Christian, to know that you're a Christian, not by title, not by going to church, but being Christ-like. The word is in you. John chapter 8, verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children, the promise, you would do the works of Abraham. And the works of Abraham was faith, trusting in God. So you see, Jesus points this out. Now, if the Jews can put their hope. Let's go back. The Jews want to put their hope that they're the descendants of Abraham. They're God's chosen people because they came from Abraham. They said to Jesus, we are descendants of Abraham. All right, then. Can Ishmael, who was a descendant of Abraham, say the same thing? Ishmael. Was not Ishmael one of the sons of Abraham? Oh, yes, he was. You see, In Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 15, the Lord had promised Abraham and his wife Sarah that they would have a child. But you see, there was a problem. Sarah, like many of us, and I include myself, when God makes a promise and he's taking too long, we figure God needs a little help in the matter, right? Couldn't wait. God said through Sarah, you would have a child. Couldn't wait. Sarah said, well, Abraham, here's my maidservant, Hagar, who they got when they were in Egypt. This is my maidservant. You lay with her, and the child that we have, we have her will be our son. In that time, in that culture, that was accepted. But it wasn't accepted by God. Abraham said, whatever you say, dear. No, he didn't say that. I mean, well, he did that, but he shouldn't have said that, you know. <laughs> So, you know, later on, you know, God's going to say, yeah, heed the words of your wife. But not every time you need to hear your spouse. You know what I'm saying? You've been there. I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> Melissa, I'm watching you. Anyway, in Genesis 16, Sarah couldn't wait. So she figured she helped God. And so now Hagar gives birth to a child and they name him Ishmael. Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is the seed of Abraham, but not the seed of Abraham, the promised seed. You see, the covenant that God made to Abraham, remember, it's called the Abrahamic covenant. God said, Abraham, come out and look at the stars. Can you number them? He said, holy, I can't number this. He said, as you can, you can't number that. He said, as, as, as many of the stars are in the sky and the sea and the sand, that's how I multiply your descendants. That covenant God made, it was a one-way covenant. It wasn't like, I'll make this covenant. I'll give you the sentence if you choose the right woman. He didn't give him conditions. There was no condition. It was a one-way covenant. So regardless if Abraham messed up, which he did, God still kept the promise. So God had to keep the promise even with Ishmael. Ishmael had to be multiplied. That's why we have the Arab nations, you see. 
How many are they? Oh, they're a lot. They're a lot. So you see, God kept the promise. But it wasn't what God planned for Israel as far as bringing forth the Messiah. It had to be the seed. It couldn't be done man's way. It couldn't be done in the flesh. God was going to bring his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It had to be perfect. It had to be supernatural. It can't be handled by man. It can't be done in the flesh. And what Sarah did, she couldn't wait for the Lord. How many of us have been there? And she figured God needed help, and it was done in the flesh. That is the reason why we have the problem in the Middle East. That is the reason why. And so that's why Paul quotes here at, at, at um, the end of verse 7. He says, in Isaac, in Isaac, not Abraham, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. In Isaac, your seed shall be called. Not Ishmael either. It's not through Ishmael. It is through Isaac. And he's quoting Genesis 21, chapter 21, verse 21. That's what he's quoting. He's quoting the Lord. When the Lord said to Abraham, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. So Paul gives us a little more clarity in this when he writes to the church in Galatia. In the New Testament, Paul makes it clear about this seed in singular because he's a teacher as well. So the church, the letter he wrote to Galatia, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, he writes this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He does not say, now he's a teacher here. And to the seeds, plural with an S, he said, as of many, but as of the one, singular, and to your seed, singular, capital S, because it's referring to Jesus, and he says, who is Christ? So if he said it was to your seeds through Abraham, that means Ishmael is also included. You get it? I hope I'm not losing you. I know you're hungry. The seed. Now, this prophecy, there's over 300 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, right? The first Messianic prophecy we find in Genesis chapter 3, when the Lord cursed the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. Her? Females don't have seeds. But he said her seed, talking about Israel, her. Israel, seed, singular, capital S. That promise of the Messiah was promised way back in the Garden of Eden. God had a plan because God knows all things beginning and end. And so Paul makes it clear here. And then in verse 29, the same chapter, Galatians chapter 3, in verse 29, he goes on to say, and if you are Christ, that's you and I, believers in Jesus Christ, hear this. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So that seed that was promised, you are a part of because you believed. You believe just as Father Abraham. He's called the father of faith. Later on, Paul is going to say that we're grafted in. The Gentiles are grafted into this olive tree. The wild olive branch is grafted in. And so this is why Paul is bringing this out. And so saints, the promise has been extended to you and me. The promise has been extended to those who have been adopted into God's family, the children of God. Through his son, Jesus Christ. All right, back to Romans chapter 9. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Verse 8, that is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, 
but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And God did come and appeared. And she had a son after Ishmael. It is Sarah had a son and he called him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? For you students, some of you know, laughter. She laughed. Me having a child at 90? <laughs> yeah, okay. So she called him Isaac. Isaac, laughter. Now here we call see parallels with us as well between the spirit and the flesh. The work of the flesh by Abraham and Sarah, a maidservant Hagar, and bringing in Ishmael, so too with us. Through the womb, we've been born of the flesh. And it's not by works that we do in the flesh. Oh, I'm a good person. What's a good person? By whose definition? Yours? Mine's? The president? Whose definition? We go by God's definition of what's good. And so it's not by us being born out of the womb. It's actually being born out of the rib of Christ, being born again. And so as as Paul showed us in verses 7 through 9, we saw the sovereignty of God illustrated in the story of Isaac and Ishmael. Now we see God's sovereignty in verses 10 through 13. And Paul's going to illustrate that to us in the story with Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Verse 10. He says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger in Genesis 25, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, Rebekah, who also was barren. You see this? You see the pattern here. The children of God had to be born through supernatural. Sarah was 90. Rebekah was barren. God heard um, Isaac's plead, and Rebekah conceived. But the children in her womb were struggling. They were tossing and turning as, as if they were wrestling, which it was they were. And Rebecca inquired with the Lord, said, thank you for making, you know, for allowing me to be pregnant here. But now something is going on here that doesn't seem natural. <laughs> you see feet popping out and hands popping out and heads. And, and, you know, it's like, what's going on? And the Lord spoke in Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger, as Paul quotes here. The older shall serve the younger. Now, Rebecca knows this. She remembers God spoke to her. And so she gave birth to twin boys. The first one comes out of the womb. He's all hairy and red. And so they call him Harry. No, they didn't. His name is... No, his name is... Esau, Esau. So as Esau was coming out of the womb, just as he was coming out, the other one was coming out. He was holding on to his heel. That's why he's called heel catcher. He was holding on to his heel. And so they called him Jacob. Now, as time went on, as the boys started to grow, 
Rebecca sees now that Jacob is favoring Esau. But she also favored her fault. She is in favor of Jacob. And then we read in verses 27 and 28 of chapter 25 of Genesis. It says, so the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. So in other words, Esau was a man's man. He was a skillful man. He was a hunter of the field, a rough, tough kind of guy. A guy with a pickup and a shotgun at the back. That's the kind of guy this guy was. And if you wanted meat, you want, oh, I got some deer in the back. You know, that's who Esau was. Jacob, in the other hand, he was a mild man. He was dwelling in tents. He was a homeboy. He was a mama's boy. He was at home watching the cooking channel with mom. That, that's the kind of, so you see the difference between the two. He was a mild man. And so it says at verse 28, it says, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Again, now she sees this, okay, something's going on here. I have to get involved here. Rebecca sees that Esau is getting all the favoritism, thinking that he might get the blessing, he might get the birthright. That's what they're worried about, the blessing and the birthright. And Rebecca loves her son, Jacob. She wants Jacob to get the birthright and the blessings. And so what does she do? She tricks her blind husband, because at this time Isaac can't see very well, and laying hands on Jacob put fur and hair on him. And Isaac is just feeling him. Oh, this is you, Esau. But it wasn't Esau. And he gave him the blessing. He laid hands on him with the blessing. You see what Rebecca did? She did. Didn't she do just what Sarah did? Didn't the Lord tell Rebecca, hey, listen, um, the older will serve the younger. I'm telling you this before they're born. And that's what Paul's trying to point here, is that the calling was before their birth. Without knowing good or bad, the calling was ordained. It was already planned before they were born. And Rebecca was told this, but Rebecca wanted to give God a hand, just like Sarah. Don't we all do that? You know how many times I messed it up by just getting involved and make things worse? When we let God deal with it, instead of getting involved most of the time, you know, I leave it. I've just learned that most of the time, most of the time, I'm not saying that I'm going to fail on this again because I'm just like you. But there are times I just like to lay back and it comes to the final hour. What are you going to do? Nothing. I don't want to get involved. If it can't be done naturally, definitely that's not for me to do. If it got to be supernatural, then God's got to do it. If it doesn't happen, guess what? It was God's will. Move on. <laughs> you know, move on. Bottom line. There's another problem that's coming up ahead. I need to save my energy for that one. We get so caught up. Let God deal with it. Let God deal with it. He doesn't need your help just because he doesn't do it when you want it or do it how you want it. If God says he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Let God do it. I'm We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been walking through the Book of Romans with us, teaching us the truth and values found in its pages. As we continue to learn along with the recipients of Paul's letter, we'll find that the gospel message is present and practical for everyday life. 
If you've been touched by today's teaching and would like to listen again, you can find it on runningtheraceradio.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to the Running the Race podcast. When you do, you'll have access to the latest teachings as soon as they're made available. You can also connect with us on social media. Like our Facebook page to join the conversation and add some encouragement to your newsfeed. Before our time with you today comes to an end, we'd like to take a moment and tell you how you can partner with us here at Running the Race. With more, here's Tracy. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that running the race is missionary work? It is. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race. Go to runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Give option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. That website one more time is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Join us again for another insightful edition of Running the Race.